All right, we're back. Took another week off, but we now have another episode of the Down Distance Podcast. Brandon Ross, Tara Lynch. It's been a while, Tara. So how have you been? What have you been doing? Checking in, seeing how everything's going with you. I've been doing well. I've been focused on my Instagram TV show, The Next Big Thing, which talks about uh, top stories and trends that are going on. I call it infotainment. So it's a little bit of news, a little bit of entertainment. Um, to just serve as a, as a different news source as we go through uh, some pretty difficult times as a country right now. Uh, so I've been focused on that. You can catch that show Thursdays at noon on my Instagram at the Tara Lynch. But other than that, been doing well, uh, getting some work done at home, cleaning out my room. So that's exciting. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about today in terms of college football. But how have you been? I've been good. Uh, I've been putting together some content for my uh, for my internship. I was going to be on Cape Cod with the Orleans Firebirds. Uh, that didn't happen, but we've still been interviewing players uh, who were supposed to be on this year's team and players who played on past year's teams that have been drafted. So that's fun. I got a few of those coming up at the end of the week. Uh, so that should be exciting. But uh, what's not as exciting as college football looming on the horizon And workouts got back underway a little over a week ago, and we're already starting to see sort of ups and hurdles throughout the entire process of this, because obviously college football is one of those things, like the NFL, that's like, it's a few months off, we don't know where we're going to be then, and you look at what's happening with schools bringing kids back and testing all their players, And you're already starting to see problems. You're seeing Houston have multiple athletes test positive and suspend all their workouts. You saw other schools like Ohio State throwing out waivers. Auburn had players test positive. So we're already starting to see these issues popping up, Tara. It's certainly a challenge. And we've noted that many times on this podcast. And we weren't really sure how colleges and universities for all sports not just football we're going to bring back their athletes now you know we're into June uh, the middle of June now a lot of schools coming back allowing their athletes to come back to campus for workouts and runs and less organized formal things but still on campus nonetheless on June 1 or in early June so we're kind of seeing that fallout as we're approaching this that second week that all of these athletes are there and as the experts have noted, it takes about two, could take about two weeks for you to show symptoms of COVID-19. Now we're starting to see all these schools and how they're dealing with students that are testing positive. Um, are they going to have to move to a different dorm, a secure area where infected uh, athletes can go in order to recuperate and come back and also not infect their teammates or members of other teams? Uh, That's something else that we've talked about as well. So I'm interested to see how this will work, not only right now, but as we start to see these athletes go through practices, um, college football is looking at an NFL OTA style for a little bit, and then starting organized, more formal preseason practices, uh, 25 days out, I believe, from their first scheduled game. So, you know, that'll be interesting. That's another step in the right direction. And then if these colleges are bringing back their athletes, I'm assuming they're going to be bringing back their students at some point. So how will that work when you're trying to protect your athletes 
who have to go out and play in a, you know, a very challenging, you know, activity for your body. And you might also be sick uh, because there are other students around you, not just athletes that are that are secluded. So we'll have to see how they treat the athletes if they remove them from the rest of the student body. I have no idea. Um, but there's certainly a lot happening right now, as you said. Lots of athletes already testing positive and how these schools are reacting. Yeah, no, I, I look to how Syracuse is handling it because that's how that's my proximity to it. I am a Syracuse student. And they do have a plan laid out where if you are suspect of having COVID or if you do have COVID, there isn't something where they will isolate you, some place where they will isolate you from the rest of the student body. I don't know if it's a dorm. I don't know much more details on it, but that's an interesting phenomena. And that at the early stage is probably not going to be too consequential. You don't have too many people around during the summer. So if one player tests positive, that's not going to totally end the world. But the problem is when you have all those players in such close proximity and uh, what's interesting is Syracuse is handling it where they have uh, the student athletes uh, on the football team, at least, moving around in pods. That's what uh, the head coach, Dino Babers, was talking about this week. Uh, a pod of people that they live with, and they move around with that group and don't really interact with others uh, at this stage. So once all the tests come back and everyone's all settled in and still nothing flares up, then you can keep progressing forward. But then the question becomes, what about those teams like Houston? What about those teams like Auburn who hit a snag? Can they progress forward if cases keep spreading? And you also have to consider the fact that a lot of the country that at least at some point seemed safe for the most part from coronavirus is now getting hit pretty hard. You saw uh, Houston with a huge spike in cases this week. Florida, Georgia, most of the Southeast cases are starting to flare up a good amount and that could pose some hurdles for them getting their football seasons off the ground. Arizona as well, adding to that list of, of regions that are getting hit pretty hard right now. But one thing that I think is going to be a challenge, and we also talked about this a few weeks ago, is how are these conferences going to restart? You know, we talk about the ACC when you have teams like Boston College who haven't returned for voluntary workouts yet. But then you have a school like Miami or Syracuse that went back in early June. So how are you going to deal with these schools that are still to be determined? They're not in on these voluntary workouts yet. They are not even to that first step, that first hurdle. Um, you know, is it an unfair advantage? Then you look at other conferences. That's just the ACC. The Big Ten, the majority of the schools are there. Uh, it's just Minnesota right now that's that's to be determined. Um, the Big 12, all of those schools have dates uh, that were announced either early uh, June or mid-June, even early July for Oklahoma. Pac-12, there's a lot of to be determined in the Pac-12, particularly for those California schools. California hit pretty hard with the coronavirus, uh, as New York State was about that same time. And then you look at the SEC, all of those schools, June 8th, it looks like on this list from 24-7 Sports. So how are you going to deal with those differences in conferences? Because you have interconference games. Um, you have teams that are not even back for voluntary workouts. So how are they going to start those 
you know, OTA like practices or spring ball like practices in a couple of weeks to be ready to start their preseason in, you know, late July or, or early August. I don't really know how that's quite fair. And, you know, people have come out and said, you know, it's going to have to be a conference by conference um, decision. And there's going to have to be rules because not all of these schools are going to be um, on the same playing field just due to COVID-19 in their region. So I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, process moving forward. And we'll have to keep an eye on that as well. But one thing that I I wanted to mention um, was that it said that the teams that are going to do well this year might not be the most skilled teams, but it's going to be the most mindful teams and the programs that are keeping a close eye on what their players are doing and the players that are keeping a close eye and keeping their wits about them and not going out and, and exposing themselves to the virus and doing everything that they can to keep themselves healthy. So mindfulness important now. Very important. Always has been even more so right now. And, You know, we've already talked about on the show a decent amount the problem with the lack of sort of a chief executive figure when it comes to college football to sort of make some uniform decisions. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, has openly said he will not enforce a start date. He will not enforce everyone plays or no one plays. He is going to let it play out as he sees fit. And, I mean, economically, I think that's the right decision because if some schools can play, it's better for the NCAA then if no schools can play, they will operate. The question then becomes what conferences can play and what conferences can't, and that's going to be a f- interesting thing to say the least to watch flesh out. You could have different conferences with similar case situations that take completely different approaches. Noting how things have gone so far, like Texas has already passed legislation to allow quarter capacity of fans and cases are spiking in Houston. They could get similar case numbers to, say, a New York or a Massachusetts, and they could still play with fans while New York says, not worth it. This is all entirely possible, and you could find teams within the same conference, too, in different situations. You could have, let's look at the ACC, because I think that is the conference that has the most varied regionality of any conference, with with maybe the exception of the Big Ten having just Rutgers sticking out there in New Jersey. But in the ACC, you have Syracuse, you have Boston College, you have uh, a lot of schools just up and down the East Coast, Pittsburgh, uh, and then you have just schools that aren't very close to anything. You have Clemson, you have Wake Forest and Winston-Salem. That is a city, but it hasn't been hit very hard. So very different situations within that conference. And like personally, I've had this feeling for a while that... There will be at least one conference, maybe even more than one, that decides to go forward with not all of its teams playing. I think that we're going to have to really that that's that's probably going to happen. What conference? I'm not sure. I think it also depends. I mean, college football is a money making operation for a lot of these colleges and universities, and it is a pinnacle program for them. So giving it up is going to be very difficult, um, extremely difficult when you think about it. And I was reading an article in the USA Today uh, yesterday, I believe, and it was talking about 
the NHL and how the NHL has said they are going to test their players at least every week, if not every day, um, to make sure that they are ready and that everything can go according to plan and other athletes, other hockey players are not going to get infected, coaches, etc. But the NCAA has said, you know, we're not sure that we could make that a rule because I believe the figures were about 300000 or $400,000 to do all of those tests for all of those athletes. And that's a lot of money for a college to be putting out every week or, or every day um, to test all of their athletes. However, when you think about college athletics, it is a huge money-making operation, millions of dollars. So is there a way to budget out testing um, in order to, you know, try to keep these athletes on the field and, and allow them, I mean, to pursue their dreams of playing at whatever college or university they are at. So I think that's definitely another added challenge. And then when you talk about, you know, conferences going, you know, maybe some of the teams playing or a conference just not playing at all, and you're talking about schedule reworking, you're talking about, you know, other schools that might continue to play um, independently or other schools that, you know, might just be playing in a smaller version of their conference. Um, you know, what's going to happen there? Are those kids going to get sick? You talked about Ohio State and the waivers. You know, how are parents going to feel if, you know, your son or daughter who's playing a college sport gets infected with COVID-19 because, you know, your school didn't stop athletics but another school in your conference did that's going to be a really big conversation then you talk about legal problems and it just kind of gets bigger and bigger so I think the NCAA has to figure out a way to institute some some rules that can go not only across college football but across college sports and to protect these players because they are just like professional athletes and you know you have to you have to protect them at all costs I think well, something I even consider is the fact that the players were not really consulted on a lot of these decisions. This framework that's been laid out, they didn't really have a voice in that. And on top of that, you were talking about for a second there the whole testing aspect of it, making sure there are enough tests. Another hurdle in that is, can you get those tests ethically? Because one of the big issues in the U.S. has been testing shortages everywhere. And... Can you accumulate enough tests to ensure your athletes are safe without endangering the general public around you? I think some people who are really crazy football fans would be willing to take that sacrifice, but there are a lot of folks who wouldn't. We're going to have to, I mean, I can't say this enough, but it's going to have to be a conference by conference decision, a school by school decision. And when you look at, you know, certain areas of this country, college football is their thing that is the pride and joy of a state or a region and those rivalries are just as important as you know the new york yankees and the boston red sox or um you know insert a team a professional rivalry here the college rivalries are just as strong and just as important so when you have a fan base that wants to see this you want to serve that fan base uh, at the same time, but at, at the expense of your athletes, possibly. And it, it's it's this 
constant tug of war. You, you have to get a lot of tests because if you don't test, you know, the men's soccer, men and women's soccer team, but you're testing the football team daily or weekly, then that becomes, you know, a, a, a Title IX issue possibly. Or it becomes just a, a, a moral issue because you're testing the college football program because they bring in the most money and you're not testing your other athletes that are also going out and playing games. Um, you could also run into decisions, you know, like, okay, well, we can only have X number of sports and X number of athletes traveling and playing in these games, uh, you know, for safety reasons for our entire campus. So what sports are you going to select? If you committed to play a sport that gets, you know, temporarily cut or suspended, you know, what happens then? I think there's just a lot of what ifs right now. And that's the conversation across a lot of sports. But I think we're going to get some of those what ifs answered as we see the NHL come back, as we see the NBA come back, as we see the NFL, who starts about the same time as most NCAA fall sports, we'll see what they're doing. Um, But I think for professional leagues, it's a lot easier. You don't have to have these players live on campus. You know, you don't have to have these players. They don't live in the same areas. They all have their own homes. They're not in a dorm. Uh, We're both college students. Dorms are not the best place to live if you don't want to get sick. Uh, It's just because you're sharing a space with so many different people. So it's a big challenge for college athletics to try to keep these kids safe and then oh by the way you have you know college um, health centers and infirmaries and are they going to get overwhelmed Um, if you're in a, a rural college town for me in Ithaca New York we have one hospital in Ithaca but not much outside of that so if a ton of our students or a ton of our athletes get sick where are they going to go? You know, some of these schools are in, are in rural areas. You talk, talk about the University of Florida and Gainesville. There's not much around Gainesville. So if you have a huge spike in cases, where are these kids going to go? And, oh, by the way, you have kids going from all over the country and the world. And I think uh, I, I know this saying. I don't know if you've heard the saying before, but I'm sure you know just the gist of the adage, you get sick, the floor gets sick when it comes to living in a college dorm. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a Petri dish. Oh, it, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's going to be something that it's going to be the biggest question mark probably. Just the difficulty. It, it, it It's a benefit and a downside because you can keep better track of your players, but the downside is it gives inherent additional exposure to other people and that becomes a problem when you're trying to keep as many people healthy as possible and get a football season off the ground and for all these schools football is probably their biggest cash cow not just for their athletic departments but for the school as a whole you rely many schools rely on football to fund their other teams fund university initiatives and they're going to be very hesitant to dig into that, especially as many of them have taken a hit. Like, some schools are fine. Syracuse, I know from hearing the Chancellor speak and just knowing some information, they're in good fiscal health. They're not in danger. But think of, like, let's go outside the scope of the major D1 schools for a second because most of them are also fine. Think of the smaller institutions. Think of a a Bates or a Colby or a small 
Northeastern College, or a small rural college anywhere for that matter. You think of those schools that rely year to year on people continuing to be enrolled and on campus and have a thriving community there, and you're going to run into a problem. And uh, on top of that, for universities, that might be fine. A college town like Syracuse, you're going to have a lot of businesses that will struggle if there's no football season for them to bring in people and serve drinks and food and get the game day vibe going in their establishments. I think that's a going to be a huge economic question across the country. Even when you think of bigger universities that are in smaller towns, you know, as I already mentioned, the University of Florida, that's, that is Gainesville. That is Gainesville, Florida is UF. So when you think about a game day, you're bringing in tons of people from around the state of Florida, maybe alumni coming back from around the region, around the country, and TV crews. When you think about everything that has to to go into a game there, that's a huge economic boost for Gainesville. Um, you know, you talk about Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana. Yes, it's a it's a city more so than some other college towns, but that area right around Notre Dame probably relies on the big athletic season, um, whether that's football for them, hockey at Notre Dame, basketball. You know, there's a lot of different ways that the community is supported by Notre Dame athletics. And, you know, when you think of the smaller schools, when you think of Division three schools, what are they going to do? We have no idea. As an Ithaca College student, you have we right now have no clue because the NCAA is trying to figure out the D1 situation. So then you talk about Division two, Division three, and those schools are in really small towns. And for me in Ithaca, you have Ithaca College and Cornell University. If only one of those schools gets to play, you know, Cornell being D1, I think the town is still going to lose a lot of money because you're not bringing in all of the Ithaca College people who, you know, they don't care about Cornell. They only care about Ithaca and vice versa. If you bring in all the Ithaca people and you don't bring in the Cornell fans, the Cornell fans are just simply not going to come. And it's a huge hit on these towns, these college towns that thrive on the big sports seasons. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything we can take away from this as we wrap up here, it's that COVID-19 has so many impacts, whether it's on or off the fields when it comes to college football and just the environment and atmosphere it provides as a whole. Any parting thoughts, Tara? I think this is an ongoing conversation, and we're going to get some of our questions answered as these professional sports leagues come back you know we saw the pga come back recently nascar is trying to get fans uh back into the grandstand so we will see what happens with bringing fans in shortly um so i think you know a lot of those questions about how to deal with the athletes are going to be answered the nba going to orlando florida and disney world so they are kind of in a college campus like setting because these athletes will be living together in presumably the hotels or other organized areas. They're not going back to their houses every day. That's for sure. So 
I think a lot of these questions will be answered. And I think this extends beyond college football. There's a lot of big programs at a lot of these schools that are not football related. So we'll have to see what happens um, if it's one sport at a time or if it's the whole fall gamut. We'll have to see. Well, all those sports coming back that we can watch out and Rob Manfred keeps pulling his best Ebenezer Scrooge and baseball is not on the horizon. But we care about football here and that'll do it for this week's edition of Down and Distance. This is going up a day late, but the next week's episode will be on Tuesday. We'll see you then.